eaten in England, Germany, Canada, the US, Romania, and more Nordic countries than you can remember, this humble combination has been a winter holiday favorite, accompanying other delicacies on tables for centuries, but always standing out thanks to a delicious combination of ginger, molasses, or honey. It brings forth images of elaborate architectural wonders or little people adorned with gumdrop buttons. It's a food that has traveled the world, created guilds, and single-handedly saved a small town. For this serving of season's eatings, we're talking about gingerbread. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. If you haven't already, I would ask you to subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode when it's released and all future episodes will be available without you having to search for them. And if you can please take a minute and leave me a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. Reviews help others find the podcast and help me know that you are enjoying what I'm doing. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All the links can be found in the show notes, which can be found on seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're there, you can buy me a coffee. Just click on the little coffee cup at the top of the page and leave a donation for as little as $3. Each donation is used for the running of the podcast and its general upkeep, so any help would be wonderful. Finally, you can let me know how I'm doing by leave a suggestion for a future episode or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. No confection symbolizes the holidays quite like gingerbread in its many forms. From edible houses to candy-studied gingerbread men to spiced loaves of cake-like bread. In medieval England, the term gingerbread simply meant preserved ginger and wasn't applied to the desserts we are familiar with until the 15th century. The term is now broadly used to describe any type of sweet treat that combines ginger with honey treacle, or molasses. An early form of gingerbread can be traced to the ancient Greeks and Egyptians who used it for ceremonial purposes. Gingerbread made an appearance in Europe when 11th century crusaders brought back ginger from the Middle East for the aristocrats' cooks to experiment with. Ginger root was first cultivated in ancient China, where it was commonly used as a medical treatment. From there, it spread to Europe via the Silk Road. During the Middle Ages, it was favored as a spice for its ability to disguise the taste of preserved meats. Henry VIII is said to have used a ginger concoction in hopes of building a resistance to the plague. Even today, we use ginger as an effective remedy for nausea and other stomach ailments. In Sanskrit, the root was known as Srigavera, which translates to root shaped like a horn a fitting name for ginger's unusual appearance. 
According to Rhonda Massingham Hart's Making Gingerbread Houses, the first known recipe for gingerbread came from Greece in about 2400 BC. Chinese recipes were developed during the 10th century, and by late Middle Ages, Europeans had their own version of gingerbread. The hard cookies, sometimes gilded with gold leaf and shaped like animals, kings, and queens, were a staple at medieval fairs in England, France, Holland, and Germany. Queen Elizabeth I is credited with the idea of decorating the cookies in this fashion, after she had some made to resemble the dignitaries visiting her court. Over time, some of these festivals came to be known as gingerbread fairs, and the gingerbread cookies served there were known as fairings. The shapes of the gingerbread changed with the season, including flowers in the spring and birds in the fall. Elaborately decorated gingerbread became synonymous with all things fancy and elegant in England. The gold leaf that was often used to decorate gingerbread led to the popular expression to take the gilt off the gingerbread. The carved white architectural details found on many colonial American seaside homes is sometimes referred to as gingerbread work. Gingerbread is claimed to have been brought to Europe in 992 CE by the Armenian monk Gregory of Nicopolis, also called Gregory Makar. He left Nicopolis in modern-day western Greece to live in Bondaroy, which is in north-central France, near the town of Pithivers. He stayed there for seven years and taught gingerbread baking to French Christians. He died in 999. Gingerbread may have been brought to Western Europe from the Eastern Mediterranean in the 11th century. So deeply rooted in Europe, it's perhaps odd, yet also delightful, that it was actually an Arminian monk who produced the sweet, dark confection to the continent over a thousand years ago. It was the year 991 when Archbishop Gregory Makar traveled from Macopolis, a city in the ancient kingdom of Pontus, now located in modern-day Anatolia, Turkey, after being chased out by the Persian army. Tired and weary, he made his way across Europe, arriving in the Gatinée, part of the Loire Valley region in France. With permission from local officials, Gregory became a hermit, choosing to live close to the Saint-Martin-le-Salle church in Baudreville, which was previously abandoned by Vertu monks. According to the Logis Hotel chain, which details the region's gastronomic delights like gingerbread on their site, Gregory's tiny natural cell, no larger than his body, enabled him to lead a hermit's existence of penitence and reclusion. Gregory lived like this for seven years, spending his time in long contemplations, living off edible roots and wild honey, which the region was known for. According to the 1901 book, A Dictionary of Miracles, Imitative, Realistic, and Dogmatic, by Ebenezer Cobham Brewer, Gregor of Armenia fasted entirely every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. On Tuesday and Thursday, he ate three ounces of food after sunset. On Sunday, he did not fast, but ate very sparingly. He never ate meat or butter, but his chief food was lentils steeped in water and exposed to the heat of the sun. His rule was to eat as many as he could take up in his left hand. Gregory became a bit of a popular holy man in the French countryside, attracting bourgeois and peasants alike, 
whom he would offer his eastern hospitality to, finishing the meal with a cake that he made himself, according to a recipe from his country, and comprising of honey and spices in the fashion of his faraway homeland in Armenia. This is recorded, according to several sources, in a 10th century manuscript from the Missi Abbey, a Benedictine monastery in the region in which it is recounted that Gregory made, by hand, cake with honey and spices, just like in his homeland. Thanks to Gregory, Pithavers retained its rich gingerbread-making tradition until this day. A St. Gregory of Nicopolis gingerbread brotherhood, or Brotherhood du Pain d'Espice, if you're French, exists in the region, making gingerbread according to the recipe passed down by St. Gregory the Armenian. After teaching gingerbread-making to the French, they in turn taught the Germans, who brought it to Swedish monasteries, according to the 2010 book Food Fest 365, the officially fun food holiday cookbook by Ivan Lemoyne, who also adds that it was the court of Queen Elizabeth responsible for creating the iconic man. How very dainty, and also very British. Gingerbread was a favorite treat at festivals and fairs in medieval Europe, often shaped and decorated to look like flowers and birds, animals, or even armor. And several cities in France and England hosted regular gingerbread fairs for centuries. Ladies often gave their favorite knights a piece of gingerbread for good luck in a tournament, or superstitiously ate a gingerbread husband to improve their chances of landing the real thing. Since the 13th century, Torun gingerbread was made in Torun, Poland. It gained fame in the realm and abroad when it was brought to Sweden by Germanic immigrants. In 15th century Germany, a gingerbread guild controlled production. Early references from Batstina Abbey show that the Swedish nuns baked gingerbread to ease indigestion in 1444. It was the custom to bake white biscuits and paint them as window decorations. In England, gingerbread was also thought to have medicinal properties. 16th century writer John Barrett described gingerbread as a kind of cake or paste made to comfort the stomach. In Germany, another version of gingerbread is made called Lebkuchen. Lebkuchen is usually soft, but a hotter type of Lebkuchen is used to produce Lebkuchenhelsen, Lebkuchen hearts, usually inscribed with icing, which are available at many German regional fairs and Christmas fairs. They're also sold as souvenirs at the Oktoberfest and are inscribed with affectionate, sarcastic, or sometimes obscene messages. In Germany, gingerbread cookies called Lebkuchen have been a fixture at street festivals, often in the shape of hearts frosted with sugary messages like Alles was es braucht bist du, All I need is you, or Du bist ein Fach super, You're really super. Another form is the witch's house, or Hexenhausen, made popular because of the fairy tales about Hansel and Gretel. The etymology of Leb in the term Lebkuchen is uncertain. Proposed derivations include from the Latin Libu, meaning a flatbread, from the Germanic word Leb, meaning loaf, and from the Germanic word Leba, meaning very sweet. Another likely possibility is that it comes from the old term Lebhoning, which is rather solid crystallized honey taken from the hive, which cannot be used for much besides baking. Folk etymology often associates the name with Leben, meaning life, or Lib, meaning body, or 
Lebspisa meaning favorite food. Kuchen means cake. The forerunner of today's Lebkuchen was called the honey cake, and its history can be traced back to the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans. They believe that honey, the only sweetener widely available to them, was a gift of the deities and had magical and healing powers. Honey cakes were also worn as a talisman in battle or as a protection against evil spirits. Bakers noticed that the honey-sweetened dough would undergo a natural fermentation process when stored in a cool location for several weeks, creating bubbles that would improve the quality of the bread. Lebkuchen was started in November and baked in December after undergoing this fermentation period. Lebkuchen was invented by monks in Franconia, Germany in the 13th century. Lebkuchen bakers are recorded as early as 1296 in Ulm and in 1395 in Nuremberg. The latter is the most famous exporter today of the product, known as the Nuremberger Lebkuchen. Local history in Nuremberg relates that Emperor Friedrich III had a Reichstag there in 1487, and he invited the children of the city to a special event where he presented Lebkuchen bearing his printed portrait to almost 4,000 children. Historically and due to differences in the ingredients, Lebkuchen is also known as honey cake, Hongingkuchen, or pepper cake, Pfefferkuchen. Traditionally, the cookies are quite large and may be 11.5 centimeters or 4.5 inches in diameter, if round, and larger if rectangular. Unlike other cities where women would bake and sell the holiday cookies at will, in Nuremberg, only members of the Baker's Guild were allowed to bake the cookies. I talk a little about Baker's Guild in my episode about Stalin. We'll find out how gingerbread transforms from cookie to cake and how it saved an American town after the break. Do you love fun? Do you love movies? Do you love TV shows? Do you love informative entertainment? But most of all, do, do you, you love, love Christmas? Christmas? Then look no further, because we've got you covered. It's a 90s Christmas podcast is all about the most joyful and triumphant holiday in all its media, but only as far as the 90s are concerned. That's right. Our show not only is about the cheeriest time of the year, but also the cheesiest decade in world history. If that isn't an ideal combination, I don't know what is. Every week we will cover a movie, two sitcom episodes, and a Christmas special as long as they came out between 1990 and 2002. You can find us on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Stitcher.com, and Spotify. I am Lyle Perez from America. I am Lasse Vogt from Germany. And It's a 90s Christmas Podcast, offering perspectives from two different parts of the world, is waiting for you. Have fun, and no matter where you are or when you listen to this, a, a very, very Merry Christmas! Ho, 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 ho! Merry Christmas! Greetings, holiday shoppers. I'm Joseph Wade, and I host a podcast called Christmas Creeps. My band of merry mischief makers and I dissect holiday movies and specials all year round in search of the true meaning of Christmas. So whether you can't resist the urge to watch Home Alone in June, or you worship at the altar of mutant killer snowmen, Christmas Creeps is the podcast for the Grinch in all of us. Check us out at christmascreeps.com or wherever you download podcasts. Thank you.
picture cookies have long been a part of the German Christmas tradition. For centuries, delicately carved wooden molds into which bakers pressed Lebkuchen dough to make honey cookies have told of the Christmas event. The earliest honey cookies were made by monks. Beekeepers and farmers brought their honey to nearby monasteries where the bakers kneaded together flour, eggs, and honey. Until 400 years ago, honey was the only sweetener available. It gave Lebkuchen dough its unique honey flavor and acted as a leavener and preservative. When trade routes opened, cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves, citron, and almonds were added to the plain simple dough, making the cookies more like the ones made today. Carved in monasteries, the earliest molds had biblical themes. The cookies made with these beautiful illustrations served as visual aids, almost as church windows told a biblical story at a time when only a few could afford printed Bibles and books. Molded pitcher cookies, however, could be reproduced in quantity and with little expense. As the Lebkuchen industry expanded beyond the monks' kitchens, so did the themes of the carvers making molds for bakers. Elevated to an art form, molded cookies became very popular and were part of church festivals and holiday celebrations. They were given as gifts at weddings, baptisms, birthdays, and engagements. Probably the first New Year's greetings were pitcher cookies. The molds came to reflect the life and times of the people. One such mold is the Adoration of the Magi. The Adoration of the Magi dates back to the year 1650 when such molds were part of every Lebkuchener's equipment. Now rare, they are found only in museums and private collections. The Adoration of the Magi is part of such a collection of wooden cookie molds found in the Reichstag Museum in Rothenburg, West Germany. Translated by Uta Hoffmann from an old German cookbook from 1691, here's an early recipe for Lebkuchen taken from the German History Museum in Nuremberg. Place a pound of almonds in cold water for several hours or overnight. Pull off the skins and dry with a towel. Cut almonds into three pieces. Lay in the middle of a paper on a baking sheet and dry in the oven until they become slightly browned. Take another pound of fine dried sugar and the same amount of well-dried flour. Beat eight small eggs into this and mix the dough well. When almonds are cool, sprinkle the dough and also one and a half loth good cinnamon. Add a half loth each of nutmeg, mace, and cardamom. In case you're wondering, a loth is equal to 50 grams. When everything is coarsely cut, spread this dough on oblaten as large as you would wish to have them, but don't spread it too thick. Lay it on paper and place it on a baking sheet and bake slowly. If the dough is runny, mix a little potato starch into it. Since 1808, a variety of Nuremberg Lebkuchen made without flour has been called Elisenlebkuchen. It is uncertain whether Elise was the daughter of a gingerbread baker or the wife of a Margrave. Her name is associated with some of the Lebkuchen produced by members of the guild. Since 1996, Nuremberger Lebkuchen is a protected designation of origin, meaning it must be produced within the boundaries of the city. Lebkuchen range in taste from spicy to sweet and come in a variety of shapes with round being the most common. The ingredients usually include honey, spices such as aniseed, coriander, cloves, ginger, cardamom, and allspice, 
nuts including almonds, hazelnuts, and walnuts, or candied fruit. Bleichstollen, in Germany, types of Lebkuchen are distinguished by the kinds of nuts used and their proportions. Salt of hartshorn and potash are often used for raising the dough. Lebkuchen dough is usually placed on a thin wafer base called an oblate. This was the idea of the monks who used unleavened communion wafer ingredients to prevent the dough from sticking. Typically, they are glazed or covered with a very dark chocolate or a thin sugar coating, but some are left uncoated. The closest German equivalent of the gingerbread man is the Honigkuchenfeld, or the honey cake horse. Similar to today's fruitcake, the Nuremberg type of Lebkuchen is also known as Elisenlebkuchen and must contain no less than 25% nuts and less than 10% wheat flour. The finest artisan Lebkuchen bakeries in Nuremberg boast close to 40% nut content. Lebkuchen is sometimes packaged in richly decorated tins, chests, and boxes, which have become nostalgic collector's items. The first documented taste of gingerbread biscuits in England dates back to the 17th century, where they were sold in monasteries, pharmacies, and town square farmers markets. 100 years later, the town of Market Drayton in Shropshire, England became known for its gingerbread as is displayed on their town's welcome sign, stating that it's the home of gingerbread. The first recorded mention of gingerbread being baked in the town dates to 1793, although it was probably made earlier as ginger had been stocked in high street businesses since the 1640s. Gingerbread became widely available in the 18th century. Gingerbread came to the Americas with settlers from Europe. Molasses, which was less expensive than sugar, soon became a common ingredient and produced a softer cake. The first American cookbook, American Cookery by Amelia Simmons, published in 1796, contained seven different recipes for gingerbread. One of the better-known family-connected gingerbread recipes is attributed to George Washington's mother, Mary Ball Washington, who is said to have served it to the Marquis de Lafayette when he visited her in Fredericksburg toward the end of her life. It came to be called Lafayette gingerbread in honor of the beloved French general. This recipe is responsible for saving the history of Fredericksburg and spreading gingerbread across America. That idea shines in a story shared by Heather Baldus, the collection's manager at historic Kenmore in Fredericksburg, the first U.S. president's hometown. Turns out that the plantation mansion has long kept alive a family recipe accredited to George's mother, Mary, whose grave and memorial lie nearby on Washington Avenue. In doing so, the indomitable ladies of the Kenmore Association preserved the historic site that George's sister Betty and her husband, the patriot Feeling Lewis, called home. And along the way, they cheered up military veterans and created warm memories for many a visitor. Intrigued by oral histories and old photos in Kenmore's files, Baldus dug into what lay behind the product that Dromedary Cake Mix Company sold to millions based on the treasured and justly famous recipe of George Washington's mother. Dromedary, a label that survives today as a holding of ACH Foods Company, teamed up with Kenmore in the 1930s when it was hunting nationwide for gingerbread recipes. Mary Washington's personal recipe surfaced in a cookbook owned by the Daughters of the American Revolution's Washington Lewis chapter, 
was tested and well-liked. So Dromedary asked the chapter for permission to produce the recipe as one of its mixes. The chapter, a big supporter of the association that had saved Kenmore from destruction just a few years earlier, agreed if the historic home would benefit. The deal aided Dromedary, locked in a fierce battle with at least five competitors, including Pillsbury, in the new Quick Mix Arena that promised domestic bliss to busy housewives. Dromedary trumpeted how its gingerbread mix was made from Mary Washington's 200-year-old private recipe. In one 1940s advertisement, it boasted, Good as grandmothers, yes, and you can make it in a jiffy. A 1947 ad in Woman's Home Companion called it the world's most famous recipe. Kenmore and the DAR helped spread the word, too. Packages of the gingerbread mix were sent to every DAR chapter across the country, as Kenmore sent lantern slides for public talks that publicized its work. People were urged to try it and buy it. And they did. Dromedary donated mixes sold by the association and the DAR for 25 cents a box. The association got half of the proceeds, minus the shipping, plus all the gingerbread he could serve to visitors. Ultimately, the bargain yielded the preservationists more than $38,000, a princely sum for the day, Baldus said. In Kenmore's early days, with the Great Depression and the nation's fight against fascism, income was hard to come by. Adjusted for inflation, that's over a half a million dollars in today's money. Gingerbread became a hallmark for Kenmore, too, as its docents served the cake and tea to visitors for many decades in the Manson's Kitchen outbuilding and on into the 1980s. With its rich history and warming spices, gingerbread has left its mark on our Christmas history. Whatever shape or style, men, houses, or simple squares, the aroma of cloves, nutmegs, cinnamon, and of course, ginger, is as intoxicating in the 21st century kitchen as it was so many years ago. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please, if you can, leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. Also, I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And if you let me know you left the review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker for your trouble, as well as my unwavering gratitude. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me a coffee. Head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little coffee cup. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. All music used in this episode is royalty-free and used under the Creative Commons license.